Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we discover God's glory in what He's doing around the world. All right, let's get started. Today, I'm really happy to have Chris and Beth Kent on the line with me. They're originally from the UK, and I think you'll notice that from their accents. Last week, or last year rather, they were ministering along with their family with Iris Global in Mozambique, and this year, they're in Romania ministering to the least of these, the least, the lowly, and the lost. They minister along with their two children, and on a personal level, I'm hoping that we get into that a little bit, because I'd like to hear what they're doing with them. But with that, Chris and Beth, I've given it a little introduction. Now, why don't you take a minute, tell us a little bit more about yourselves and your ministry so we can get to know you personally. Yeah, so um, as you said, we're we're here in Romania. Um, it's been an interesting journey um, uh, coming to Romania and, and everything that God's done over the last couple of years. Um, before we came to Romania, I was working for a church um, in a very affluent middle-class area called Surrey. And we had a really lovely lifestyle and we were enjoying, you know, going out for meals and enjoying the, the sort of nice things that life can offer. But we'd begun to feel um, just a, a little bit kind of bored and and like there was something more that God had for us. And, and that's how the journey began. Yeah. And um before before this I was and before having children I was a preschool teacher and before that I was a youth pastor um and then over the last few years been at home raising our two kids okay so it's interesting uh you've you've had a little bit of a history in ministry before you started moving into into missions or to cross-cultural ministry work and I think that's great Uh, as we get started one of the things that um, I've started add, adding into the interviews is just a, a quick question. Is there something about you that the people that you're normally connected to might not know that you're, you'd be willing to share on the interview? Um, anyone who knows Chris will know that he is an absolute coffee addict. And I think moving to Romania, the hardest thing for him is, has been finding a decent place to buy coffee from. That's very true. Um and for me, I love all things uh, creative and artsy and moving here and leaving my sewing machine has been possibly the hardest thing. <laughs> yeah, so those aren't things that we would normally think of. But, you know, for me personally, coffee would almost be a deal breaker. So I'm with you, Chris. I, I fully understand that. As, as we get into this, is there a, a meaningful quote or maybe a scripture that kind of forms the foundation for how you approach life and ministry? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, obviously you've spoken about the fact that we were um, did some training with Iris Global. We did mm-hmm. um, Harvest School. And so we've been really inspired by um, Roland and Heidi's life 
and um, there's sort of several things that she says, but the idea of of love looks like something that's that's something that we talk about a lot. That um, that the ministry that we do, we don't want it to just be words. We don't even want it to just be actions. But love looks like something is tangible, um, and it has to connect with people. And so, when we think about how we um, how we want to um, portray the love of God to people, we, we're constantly talking about how love has to look like something. Well, that's good. I don't think that I'd heard that particular quote, so I, I think that's great. As we get into the interview, uh, kind of getting to know you a little bit, one of the things I do like to start with is a time when you faced a challenge. I find that it looks like, at least here in the States, that everybody's life on the outside looks like a Facebook news feed, that it's just pictures of puppies and kittens and unicorns and, uh, you know, all kinds of good stuff. But we, we all have these common challenges in our lives as well. And I find that we connect really well with those. And then sometimes we also take some, take some learning from them. Maybe it applies to a situation in our lives. Is there a time when you faced, could you share with us the, the story of a time when you faced a significant challenge or perhaps some kind of failure in your lives? Um, yeah, there was, um, there was something uh, pretty substantial that we went through. Um, uh, it was a couple of years after we'd been married. So we were sort of newly, newly wed and, and just enjoying life and, um, enjoying getting to know each other. And, um, we found out that, uh, we were pregnant. My wife was pregnant. And, um, so <clears throat> we were so excited and we were so excited to, you know, establish our home and establish our family. And, um, we, we had a, a scan just before Christmas, the 12 week scan, just to see if everything is okay. And, um, the person doing the scan said, yeah, everything's fine. And, um, and then he, he kind of went very quiet and he kept on measuring things and it was our first time. So we had no idea exactly how this all worked. Uh, but eventually, uh, we realized that something was wrong. And, um, I think it was Beth, my wife, um, got up the courage to say, is everything okay? And he just looked at us and was, looked really shocked. And he said, actually, there's something definitely wrong. And um, we kind of left left there absolutely reeling and, and having no idea what to do and, and where to go. And we found out on Christmas Eve that our, our baby boy, who we named Isaac, had a very severe genetic di- um, disorder. Um, and um, he we were told that his, that he was incompatible with life, that he wouldn't survive. And, um, the hospital were really sweet. They were, they were very lovely with us, but, um, there was definitely a lot of pressure to have a termination and, um, they made it sound like a really lovely process. You know, Beth will be put to sleep and she'll wake up and, and there'll be nothing there and, and you can just start again. And it caused us to really question our beliefs and, you know, um, to, I guess, to put into action the things that we believe and, and, and actually stand on that truth. And we both knew that, that we know that life is sacred, that it's from God. And so we both knew that there was no way we could carry out a termination. And um, when we 
when we uh, we prayed with our family and and they were so supportive and our church was so supportive, um, and um, so we we decided that we would um, continue with the pregnancy and just pursue God for Isaac's healing and um, and really just enjoy the time that God gives us with Isaac. And so um, we had uh, 36 weeks of pregnancy and we tried to enjoy every moment and do all the normal things that any expectant parent will do, um, like taking lots of photos and feeling first kicks and Hmm. all those kind of things, really just trying to celebrate his little life and um, showing the people around us that, that, we celebrate him and that we love him and that he's part of our family. Um, and then at 36 weeks, I um, started to notice a difference in his movements. And um, we went to the hospital and and his heart had stopped beating. So um, I was induced into labour at 36 weeks and um, gave birth to him. And I mean, it, we can talk about it now it's been five years and even now thinking about that day it it sends shivers down my spine because it was just one of the hardest moment the hardest moment I think we've ever been through as a couple um but also a journey that we really experienced God we really experienced his hands of just um supernatural peace being poured out upon us and um, the comfort of seeing God's body come together and really support us, that was really amazing, seeing friends and family just pouring love upon us. And um, and, and we, we got through it. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that um, we will always, you know, we'll always remember Isaac, we'll always remember the, the, the time that we had during that pregnancy and the impact that his tiny life made on us and the people around us. Um, and it's really marked who we are today and how we go about our ministry. And um, it's really taught us that, you know, life isn't always black and white. And we were faced with a really hard situation. And I think it showed us that you can sometimes have those black and white views on things. And actually that's not always the case. God, God really showed us that we were to continue with the pregnancy, but we would never judge someone for choosing the other option because either ones are, either options are hard. Yeah. Uh, for starters, just thank you for sharing that story. I, I can tell it's intensely personal. And as a father, I can say that uh, I, I don't, I don't even begin to know how I would approach that. It's such a challenging thing. As you as you were sharing, one of the things that struck me was, I think maybe the connection between uh, love looks like something, and you know this experience in their lives. Have those two kind of mixed together to to shape your approach to ministry? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think in in the aftermath and in the grief. Um, the very the very nature of God, um, we really questioned. Um, as you can imagine, you know, when you've been through something like that, you, uh, you know, we've been we believed things for so long about God, 
but it, it really put it on the stand and and you know through through God healing us and and restoring us um it took a while before we we could say for sure even even you know regardless of what we've been through and and seeing the the grief that our family went through that God is good and and he's for us and never against us and um yeah so that that the fact that we um we demonstrated to people around us and particularly the hospital staff that that very thing that love looks like something is it's not just a throwaway word mm. it's not a catchphrase it's um it's something with flesh and bones and and it needs to it needs to um needs to be demonstrated and acted upon it needs to be um something that people can see with their eyes and and i think um yeah certainly the hospital staff were absolutely amazed by the joy that we had the the ability that we had to to carry isaac even though we knew that his life wasn't going to continue and um actually one of one of the staff told us um a little time later that a letter that my wife had written to the staff to thank them um is forever pinned on the board and it talks about god and it talks about our you know our faith and that sort of thing um so uh, yeah yeah it's it's it is amazing how god uses those things um as as we kind of tie a bow on this section where we're getting to know you and we'll be moving on in just a minute but i'm wondering do you have maybe each of you or together, I don't know, do you have some some personal habit that you believe contributes to what God's been able to do in your lives? I think um, as a couple, we, we, love, we love being around people and we love, um, I guess, nurturing and caring um, for people. And so I guess that that is something when when you look at what God's called us to here and also before this I think you can see that he's given us those characteristics for this um can you think of anything else yeah I think I think a habit that we've always had is is that we we're content with what we have of God Mm -hmm. but we're always hungry for more and um and both of us have have always been the sort of character that we would we would go to a place where we knew God was moving, and we would always chase Him down because we're always hungry not not to have His power necessarily or or to tell people great stories, but we but we want to have intimacy with Him, and I think um, I think that's something that we've we've always had and, and we share as a couple that we're just constantly in search of him and whether that's through worship or, or soaking or, or whatever it is, even visiting, you know, the orphans, um, we're all of the things that we do, we're, we're motivated because we want to know God more and we want to have an intimate relationship with him. Wow. That's, that's really powerful. As you shared about being willing to go to, to where you can find God, uh, it reminded me that, you know, there are, there have definitely been seasons in my life where that's happened. I also found sometimes that there were seasons where it felt like I was sort of chasing the stuff of God rather than chasing God. Mm. Yeah. Have, have you developed any, 
sort of decision-making matrix or a way that you approach that. So you go, yeah, I know this time I'm pursuing God. Or is that just something that you handle individually every time? I think, I think like you said, we've been through seasons um, where we've been more excited about one aspect of God, maybe healing or, or whatever it is. And um and i and i think we've definitely at times chased after the things rather than rather than who he is mm. um and i don't know when it happened but i think um i think we we came to a realization that he is the greatest gift that you can you can search after you know the power or the healing or or the whatever it is, but he, you know, when you know him and, and you know him as father, um, you realize that actually there's nothing better. Um, he is, he is the gift. He is the, the of great price. He is everything. Well, that's, that's very good. We're going to take a quick break for the engaging missions leadership minute brought to you by Scott McClelland of FX missions. Hi, this is Scott McClelland. I'm here today with your Leadership Minute, and I'd like to talk to you about something I call imaginary leadership. What is imaginary leadership, you say? Thanks for asking. Imaginary leadership is leadership that does not take action. You may fancy yourself as someone who has got a great calling to leadership, or even that you're a leader. But unless you take action, your leadership isn't demonstrated and therefore isn't real. It's a romantic thought to feel like you have something to contribute to someone else, to lead them, to guide the way, maybe to be famous. These are all things that plague the subject of leadership in a bad way. Real leadership is always demonstrated. You may be called to leadership, but unless you act, you're imagining and not actually leading. So get started. Go somewhere, do something, and demonstrate the fact that you, in fact, are a leader. Remember, unless you act, you're not a leader. This is Scott McClelland with FX Missions. And if you'd like to reach us, please do so at fxmissions.com or on most social media channels at FX Missions. Have a great day, and remember, demonstrate your leadership today by taking action. This has been the Engaging Missions Leadership Minute. If you have any leadership questions that you'd like for Scott to address, please send those to feedback at engagingmissions.com. And we're going to start talking a little bit about the, the ministry that you have, kind of the what's going on in the present day and what's going on in the ministry. So can you share with us maybe a little bit more specifically now what it is that you're doing in Romania? So um, we arrived here um, not really not really knowing what we were going to be doing, but just knowing so deeply that God had called us here. Um, and very quickly on to, into our time here we met um we heard about a foundation that works in the children's hospital called firm foundations romania so we met with them and um 
and just started to volunteer with them. And basically they um, run projects um, in an aroma village and in the children's hospital. We work in the children's hospital. There's a a massive problem here in Romania where children um, get left in the hospital. This can be for um, short term, like one, two, three weeks, or it can be long term, like a few months. And sometimes they're just left and that's it. The parents never come and pick them up and they get put into state orphanages. So these children are dropped off ill and um, they're left without anything. And two girls that set up the um, foundation, they were visiting the hospital um, and they noticed that the babies, these babies that were being left were in rags. They weren't wearing diapers and they saw the need and they just thought, you know, we can do something about this. We can provide diapers. And that's how it started, them going in and handing out diapers to the abandoned babies. And now um, they have this amazing work where two shifts in the day, there's volunteers going in and they um, feed the babies, they change the babies and they play with the babies and cuddle the babies because those babies are in are babies and children. They're in the cots, their cribs all day. So um, apart from the interaction from the volunteers, they, they just don't receive it. And um, so Chris and myself, we take it in turns going into the hospital doing shifts in the morning. Um, I also work in the maternity hospital, um, handing out care packages to the Roma mums and um, just uh, talking to them about their labours and how they're doing um, the the experience of a maternity hospital here is very different to uh, the care that we would receive in England or in the States. Um, men, the husbands, partners, they're not allowed to be present during the labour. They're not allowed um, into the hospital to meet the baby, so they don't see the babies until the mums leave the hospital after five days. Um the ba- mums and babies are separated. They have to go to a different room to feed them um, every three hours. So it's a very different type of care. So I'm in there trying to just uh, bring Jesus into into that place. And then um, Chris and myself, we and and the kids, we go to a orphanage in a village just out of um, the city where we're living, and um, we. We just go and hang out with the kids there. We probably once or twice a week, um, just being family with them, eating with them, playing games with them, going on trips with them, listening to their stories, helping them paint their nails, learn guitar, all the kind of things that you do with young people and children. Um, So that's what we're doing at the moment. uh, But that's soon to be changing. Yeah, um, I mean, another thing that we've kind of found ourselves doing is um, we live in an apartment building and um, they have like a central place where you where you take your your um, rubbish, your garbage. And um, so we noticed very soon, as soon as we arrived, that there was always people at the at the uh, trash cans Um asking for things or looking through the rubbish. And, and we realized it was a, an amazing way to meet people. And 
and just uh, you know just share the love of Jesus with them in a very practical way. Often they're they're hungry. Sometimes they have their kids with them, um, and mostly they're they're um, they're Roma, so um, part of the Gypsy population. Um, um, and you may as well you may well know that in in Romania or and across Europe they they live in in really um horrific poverty and uh, horrific conditions um and they're the sort of people that god has really put on our hearts and so as we've gone to take our our garbage out we've we've met them and um sometimes we've in, invited them in for food um sometimes we've taken them um to the local market and, and bought them groceries um we've got to pray with them uh, our, our Romanian is very limited, but we always tell them that Jesus loves them, and and hopefully we show them by by the way that we are with them and the things that we that we give them as well. So that's a, another kind of thing that really we do all the time. Um, we're always meeting people at the bins. <laughs> yeah. Um, as you think about the, the ministry that you're doing right now, it seems like you've got kind of a wide swath, if you will. You've got some stuff that you're doing with, with children, uh, both in the hospital and then also in the orphanage. And then you've got some things that you're doing, uh, with the mothers and with people that, that kind of meet around the trash bins. Um, as you do this ministry, uh, what are the things that are exciting you about what, what you see happening? I think um I think when you're when you're in the hospital um sometimes it can be a very a very depress uh, depressing and um very joyless atmosphere um but when we when we turn up we we really intend to carry the presence of God and and his joy with us and um it's just amazing to see the kids smile when we turn up and to see them want to play um you know, when we, when we change their diapers, it's, it's a little thing, but to them, it's, it's a massive thing. Um, often having them fall asleep on you and, and just cuddle them and, and love them and see them sort of come alive in, in your arms, um, as, as they've, they've just been left and, and they, they have no idea what's going on. They have no idea where they are and where their parents are. Um, and in some small way we can go in and, and just, try and fill that gap and um i think that's that's been a, a really exciting part of what we've been doing um and then with the with the kids that we've got to know in the orphanage um mainly the teenagers um we we came up with this idea that we wanted to take them for a kind of life changing trip and um, we put it forward to the foundation that runs the home and and they agreed it and um, so in the summer we're taking seven of the young people from the orphanage to the UK and we're taking them to a, um, a it's like a youth Christian um, festival called Soul Survivor it's been running for a number of years in the UK and each week um, at this festival, they have 12,000 young people gathering under a, a big top, like a big tent. And uh, the worship is passionate and the, the preaching is alive. And so we're really excited to see um, those kids kind of see what's outside of their little world and, and see how big God is and what God is doing in different countries around the world. But also we're, we're excited to take them to London and uh, we're taking them for a beach trip. And um, 
it's been amazing to see the journey that the kids have gone on as we've talked about this, because initially they said, oh, this isn't going to happen because these are kids that have been constantly let down, um, been made promises constantly and, and nothing has, has happened. And, um, and I, I said to the kids early on, I said, look, if, if we're going to do this, it's going to happen. And one of the boys said, no, no, it's, it's not going to happen. It's too expensive and we won't get the money together. So the other week I went and booked the flights and I gave the kids the printout of the flight itinerary. And they were just absolutely blown away that, that number one, that God can do this and, and that God can provide for this trip, but also that, that we were true to our word and we didn't just make empty promises, but, but we fulfilled them. You know, as you, as you're sharing this, it's on so many levels, it's breaking my heart to think of, of this. I mean, for starters, it's just hard to even fathom being able to leave a child behind. Uh, I, I know that some orphans are probably orphaned because their parents are, have, have passed, but others are orphaned because their parents couldn't care for them. How are you able to, or are you able to reconcile the, the, the current reality in their lives with the way that you're pr- hoping and praying that God is going to work in their lives? Wow. <laughs> um. I think I think going into the hospital, um, that that for for me feels the hardest place because in many ways it just feels evil seeing children being left. It's it just it, I can't reconcile that within myself. It it just doesn't make sense. And I know that the parents are sometimes in situations where they've got to leave their children. They don't have another option, but it's still, it just feels evil. Um, but I also feel honoured that we get to go in and pray over those children and um, just declare over them who they are in Christ and declare over them that God's got plans and a perfect plan and a perfect perfect. Uh, purpose for their lives and so I have to I have to believe those prayers that I'm praying because I know that God's a good God and I know that they're his precious children and I know that he's he's always faithful to his word so uh, I guess trusting that what we declare what we declare is is going to happen for those kids and that they are going to they are going to have perfect plans for their lives. Um, And then the children in the home who we get to spend more time with and um, openly share Jesus with, I think we're really praying for their healing and their restoration from from their past and the things that they've been through. And we know um, through personal experiences that God can restore all things and... um, and so we feel really, um, I guess we just know deep within us that God's going to do that for these kids and that the more we share Jesus with Him, with them and the more we, um, the more we just spend time with them and loving them, the more they're going to see Jesus actively through us. Yeah. So, you know, as, as, as we're talking, I'm thinking that there's always the possibility that somebody who's listening to this might be resonating with what you're sharing and might have a heart for these orphans or these children that are in the hospital. If someone wanted to 
get involved with this kind of thing, what would, what would be helpful to you? Is it, is it money? Is it prayer? What, what would help you to minister? on a personal level for us or for the organizations? Um, well, let's start with on a personal level for you. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think we're, we're always constantly um, wanting people to be praying for us. Um, it's, you know, it's been a real, it's been a real journey and, and sometimes it's, it's been really tough. And I think, um, Sometimes the atmosphere in the country can feel really um, depressing and um, quite hopeless at times. Um, and, that, you know, often we don't see a lot of joy. Um, people look really unhappy. And, um, you know, Romania has a, has a long history of being known as a, as a country of orphans. And so the one the one prayer that we kind of pray and and something that we declare over the country is that every orphan is going to have a home and we know that that's not within our ability but it's it's something that's on god's heart for this country um so for people to to pray for us but also to pray for this nation um that that this kind of this hopelessness and this 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 kind of weight that hangs over this country will just be broken and that there will just be a new move of the Holy spirit in this country. Um, it's funny because, uh, we're always funny talking about money because, um, since the start of, of this whole thing, we've always felt God say to us personally, mm-hmm. um, that we, that we shouldn't fundraise. Um, and we've, so we've never actually um, told people our needs, but miraculously we, they've always been met and, and more so. Um, but, uh, but I guess, I guess in, in some ways, you know, at the moment our personal needs are being met, but our vision is obviously much bigger than just existing here as a family. Um, and so we really um, would love to see the dreams and the plans that God has put on our heart um, fulfilled um, we we both have a real heart for the Roma, and, and one of the things that we want to do is is start to um, create small businesses um, for them to be able to to work in and begin to earn an income. Um, because they're they're ostracised people, and, and they're not really given the opportunity. So we would love to see them given skills and given the ability to start businesses and start work. Um, so that's that's something that's on our heart, and um, God's given us a, a vision for a bakery um, that would that would be a place of training and a place of work for the Roma, but also it would exist as a as a charity as well, so that we would begin to take bread into the into the gypsy and the Roma villages um, to to feed people. Um, and there's there's lots of other plans and dreams that we have. Yeah, I remember talking to the missions pastor at my church, and he said, you know, one of the things about missionaries is they almost always have a vision that's bigger than the current resources they have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a good thing. Absolutely, yeah. I'm really happy to have Kurt Koble here for a uh, an update from the field. 
Uh, you may remember that he's been with us before. That would be at engagingmissions.com slash Kurt Koble. But it's been a few months since we talked last, and there's quite a bit going on. So I wanted to get Kurt back on for just a minute or two to kind of share a little bit about what's going on and what's upcoming. So Kurt, I've got you on the line. Can you share a little bit with us about what you have coming up in the next few days? Sure, yeah. I'm uh, heading off to uh, Uganda, and uh, we're going to be teaching there with a group called the East African Gospel. It's uh, a ministry there in Uganda, from Ugandans, and they reach uh, many countries in the East African area uh, with a message that they're trying to turn, uh, basically, uh, musicians' hearts to ministry. So they're they're working hard to take... uh, you know what people are doing for entertainment, or or, or uh, you know just music into into ministry. So that's really their goal. We're going to go there and teach a clinic uh, on worship music and uh, many other things. Uh, that's what's going on there. And then I go to uh, Cameroon, Africa, in October, and then we're working on going back to Brazil uh, in December as well for. Uh, Cameroon's going to be a couple of cities, so it should be pretty good-sized clinics, maybe about 500 people uh, there. And then uh, Brazil, we're going to go back and do some training uh, in the area of recording and um, engineering. And I'm going to be doing some recording of some songs that I wrote while I was there last year doing a conference. If somebody's uh, connecting with what you've got going on or maybe just wants to sew into a ministry that's helping train up worship leaders, where can they connect with you and get more information? Uh, you go to kurtkobel.com or, or World Music Mission, uh, but uh, kurtkobel.com or worldmusicmission.org. Okay, good deal. We'll have all of that linked up for you, for everybody who's listening in the show notes. Kurt, thanks so much for taking the time to call in for just a couple minutes for this update. I really appreciate it. And with that, we're going to go ahead and make one last transition. We're going to move to the last section where we're going to talk a little bit about we're going to focus a little bit on the ministers or the, I'm sorry, the, uh, the listeners. And we're going to kind of draw from your, your experiences as both as a minister and then, you know, as raising children in a cross-cultural situation. What would you say to someone who um, is called into the marketplace, but they're starting to wonder if what they do in work and in business really matters in the kingdom? Um, I mean, personally, uh even though this is what God has called us to, we don't see ourselves as any anything really different to people who have, you know, nine to five jobs, whatever whatever sphere of um, work they work in, um, because we're we just see that our lives is meant to be ministry. I don't, I, we don't really see um, those kind of divisions between secular and spiritual, and. Um, I, I, I would just want to encourage those those people and those people listening um, to to begin to ask God what it is He is He is saying and what it is He is doing in their workplace, and um, what are the things that they can join in with? Because when we when we join in with God, it's it's always so much better when we partner with Him because he's speaking and he's, and he's working and he's always reaching. And, um, so for those people to, to not see themselves as, as different from missionaries or pastors or worship leaders, um, essentially we're all trying to live a life that, that pleases God and that worships him and, and 
that reveals who he is to the people around us. And, and we can do that in every, every sphere of life, really. I, I love that. Uh, one of the other interesting things that I see happening, um, certainly here in the States, and even, you know, as I look at England uh, starting years ago, is that uh, it's becoming more cross-cultural. It's not so much multicultural as just, um, I, I feel like the nations are coming to us. And as I look at places like South Haven and some of the other places in the UK, I can see that as well. What would you say to somebody who looks up one day and they realize that their neighbors, their coworkers, the people that they're seeing at, at the grocery store are from another culture, from a place that maybe just a few years ago, we thought that's where missionaries go. What would you share with them? I think we would share something that we learned while we were um, at mission training school with Iris. And that's, um, it's really Heidi's philosophy of going low and slow. So rather than um, trying to straight away share the gospel with these people and, uh, you know, set up a church or whatever it is, just going and being with those people, learning their culture, learning um, the things they love, eating with them, um, having fun with them, inviting them over for dinner, just just investing in relationship with them. And as you do that, you will just start to share Jesus with them because it, it's, it's the overflow of your heart. It just happens naturally. And, um, yeah. I think that would be my... I, I think as well, in, in, in every culture, there are stories of redemption. And um, when, we, when we discover what a culture is and the, the, the kind of how the people think and, and the language as well, I mean, it's, it's really key to reaching people. And when you find yourself in, in the midst of different nations to like Beth said to go low and slow to be humble and not rush but um to invest in the relationships and invest in understanding their culture and the language and um and then beginning to to discover the redemptive stories within their culture um and and they always lead back to Jesus so if I could ask a follow-up question, I know that you're ministering to the to the Roma people and to the gypsies in, in Romania, and my assumption is that there's a redemption story in their culture as well. How did you go about discovering that story? Was that something that was plainly obvious, or was that something that you kind of had to dig to get to? I think, you know, to be honest, we're still on that, on that journey of discovery. Um, we've only been actually in, in Romania since uh, last October. So we're kind of, we're really new to all of this. And, um, um, but we're, I think, I think the thing that we see about the Roma is, is that they are a joyful people and that they have a real passion and a real ability with music. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's something that, they they just shine with that and um it's something that we love about them and um so i I feel like we're really still getting to know them and still trying to understand their culture because actually it's it's quite different from the romanian culture so in in a way we're trying to learn two cultures and two languages and uh trying to discover redemptive stories within both really 
That's amazing. Do you have an internet resource, maybe something that you use on a regular basis that you could share with our listeners? Um, I mean, for our own sort of spiritual kind of growth, um, we, we try and listen to worship and talks online. Um, our, my parents are have just finished a year of training at, at Bethel Church in, in Redding, California. Um, so we, we find ourselves listening to the worship and um, and some of the talks there, which we find really encouraging. Um, yeah. Did, so the, the teaching out of Reading, a few weeks ago, I noticed that they had some teachings uh, on uh, sharing your faith and uh, some, some evangelism. Did you happen to catch those? No. Oh wow! I thought that those were those were wonderful, but anyway, that's that's okay. We'll we'll check them out. Yeah, um, I I subscribe to their podcast. Uh, uh, okay, their yeah. sermon of the week, and they had a special. I think it was four or five weeks long, where on a, a Thursday they put those up. But I'm sure that they're back in the archives. Um, do you have a book that you would recommend for our listeners? Um, I was thinking about this uh, the other night because both myself and Beth. Um, when we were teenagers, we were always inspired and kind of addicted to stories of missionaries. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I know for, for me there were, um, I can't remember the title of them, but there were some books by a missionary called Sammy Tippett who who worked um, in, in Russia and, and in sort of um, communist countries um, during that time. And I was always inspired by his faith and, and yeah, just, just the way that he would just wholeheartedly go after the things that God had put on his heart, even if it was dangerous or, or difficult. Um, and I think, I think more recently within, within the last sort of seven, eight years, um, there's always enough by, by Heidi Baker just really captured our imagination Mm -hmm. and, um, when she when she talks about her intimacy with Jesus, um, it just makes us long long for more and and yeah. So again, that's that's why we why we've gone on this journey really, and and why we wanted to train with with Iris. That's excellent. We're going to take just a quick break to hear from next week's guest. I'm probably the most least likely person you would ever imagine becoming a missionary yeah. or a minister of any kind. I grew up on a farm over in East Tennessee and uh, never really had any interest in God or church or any of those things. But at 21, after living the few years that I'd had, um, messing up a lot, drugs, alcohol, wrecking cars, you name it, I probably delved in it a little bit. And then God called me and, and sent me to the mission field. And, and what I've noticed is that God is always training, always pushing the envelope and, and saying, I want you to do more. I want you to do something a little different, more than what you could, you know, you expect that you could have done. And so I'm, I'm as common and practical as, as they come. And yet God always pushing me to do things that are not very practical. And it's in that faith realm where God really shows himself true 
And I just appreciate that in, in my walk with God. But my, my instinct is to be practical. Very pr- I carry a leather man everywhere I go. I'm just a multi-tool kind of person. And with that, we're going to get back to this week's guest as we close out the interview. I think we'd just like to get maybe one parting piece of guidance and the best way for people to connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. Um, so we we have a website where we um, put our, our blog up, um, and the website address is thesefeetwillwander.co.uk. Uh, we're also on Instagram where we share some of our, our pictures. And again, that is These Feet Will Wander on Instagram. Okay. And is there a parting piece of guidance? Um, I think uh, parting bit of guidance. I think for us, when when we heard the voice of God, when he started to call us into this journey, we had no idea where it was going to lead. We just knew that he was calling us to go. And I think for any listener who feels that they've got that, that God's starting to say go or move or whatever it is to to act on that, because yeah. as scary as it may be, we always said the idea of settling is far more scary. The idea of looking back and thinking we missed, we missed that calling, we missed that great adventure that God had for us and you know, coming here with two small children has been really scary and really overwhelming, but it's also been amazing for our family. It's been the best move we've ever done, and our children are part of that. They're active parts, or part of this ministry that we're in. Um, so I think for anyone that's got children and um, and they feel God saying, you know, go, don't let don't let your fears for your children hold you back because we've learned that, you know, God, God cares for our kids far more than we do and that he's going to protect them and keep them um, wherever we are. That, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I forgot to mention this earlier, but for those listening, all of the links and everything that we've talked about will be available in the show notes, which are at engagingmissions.com slash Chris and Beth Kent. That would be Chris, the word and Beth Kent. And and with that, Chris and Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I so enjoyed our conversation, getting to know you a little bit and uh, hearing the amazing things that God is doing, um, the, the way that God is bringing light into the darkness and the vision that you have for the future. I so appreciate it. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Missions show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes by visiting engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. Audio editing for this program was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studios. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.